Welcome to the Scholar's Attic, an audio archive of our tour through world history, specifically the modern age, from the French Revolution to current events of 2021. Welcome to the Attic. Before Christmas, I gave everybody a stack of papers to put in your resource section in case we ended up having to shelter at home uh, during the early part of 2021. Blessedly, that did not happen. We have pulled from it a couple of times, but included in that is a short story called The Lady or the Tiger by Frank R. Stockton. And this is, and I don't know if you can really see it because that's like teeny tiny writing, or at least it is to me. Um, but The Lady or the Tiger, it's a very short story. Um, in fact, you know, it's like uh, three pages and just a smidge on the fourth. Uh, and this is one of those short stories that ends very ambiguously. Technically, it does not have an ending. And it was written to um, sort of make a couple of points about justice and injustice and right and wrong and uh, forgiveness and revenge and all these things, but the real punchline is left up to the individual reader because you don't know at the end what the author intended in terms of the final consequence. This is where we get the title, The Lady or the Tiger. Uh, so... You know, I don't want to do any spoilers, especially since it's a very short story. But your assignment here is to read the story, obviously, and then write your own ending to it. Typed, double space, half page minimum. So don't give me two or three sentences, you know, and, and say, and then it was the tiger the end. Like, Lead, lead up to it, no, give more of a story ending to this, okay? So it doesn't have to be long, but I am asking for that minimum. It is like a good solid paragraph, one of those half page paragraphs. And that's assuming that it's double spaced, okay? Because if it's double spaced, that's better than if it's single spaced. Um, and this is one that I want you to turn in, um, by Microsoft Teams. In fact, I, and I'm sorry, I know it looks very screamy. It's very not internet etiquette, putting things in all caps. Sorry about this, but um, I, I put it in all caps here about turning it in through Microsoft Teams. Use the turn in feature, and then I give you the reminder that starting next week, I will not be accepting um, homework assignments by email. <laughs> Okay, so we've been talking about the lady or the tiger and what this really boils down to, if you want to talk about themes, and there's there's several things that you could pull out of this story, even as short as it is. You could talk about revenge and jealousy and forgiveness and second chances, but it really comes down to a question of situational ethics. The lady or the tiger is really the original story that puts out this concept of situational ethics. 
If you're a Star Trek fan, you would probably recognize this under name under the name the Kobayashi Maru. Um, uh, so, or if you are familiar with the old lifeboat story, uh, there's um, and, and I believe it's originally credited as being uh, Russian, um, but it's uh, the lifeboat story. You have uh, several people in the lifeboat, and you're usually told that like. One's elderly, one's a small child, one's a mother with her baby, and you you have the smart man with the lame leg, and you have the um, the the strong person who's maybe not so intelligent, and you're out at sea, and you have like six people in the boat. You're three days from land, and you only have enough food and rations for four people to survive the three days until you get to land. And, and depending on who's telling the story, sometimes the numbers or the parameters are different, but it leaves you with this choice and neither choice is that great. So if you're a Trekkie and you know about this, uh, the whole uh, Kobayashi Maru from Star Trek, then you know that that basically refers to a no-win scenario, that no matter what you choose, there's going to be like a massive cost somewhere. Okay, part of the jaundiced, uh, cynical kind of attitude that came out of the Second World War. In some ways, we go into a very squeaky clean, optimistic, happy-go-lucky time, as we will see when we start with the 1950s. Um, but in other ways, we became very cynical and very jaundiced. And, and this idea began to take hold that um, in business, in government, in life, that you're just constantly navigating no-win scenarios, situational ethics. What is right to do in this situation? So if you look back on everything that we've talked about with humanism and existentialism and the way that World War I, World War II, Great Depression just exploded the whole old world mentality about right versus wrong and integrity and... Uh, you know, relying on uh, the wisdom of scripture and the ancients and all of that just sort of gets blown to smithereens. You get to the post-war years, which is where you're pulling from right now in your homework. Um, and, and, you know, this is, this is where we're headed to today. You get to the post-war years and all of a sudden, you know, especially we talked about relativism, that things are supposedly different depending on where you stand or where your background is from. We get this idea of situational ethics. What is right to do in this situation? Like, was it right for the woman to condemn her lover to death? Now that is probably the most likely choice that a woman of her description would have done um, because jealousy is, as they say, a green-eyed monster. And we have a endless list throughout history of jealous women who did really nasty things. And it came down to, as several of you put in your stories, if I can't have him, nobody can have him. Um, but when it comes down to it, the, the lady or the tiger not only explores, you know, revenge, but also the situational ethics that that whole, it, is there an absolute right and wrong at play in the story? Yes, Rhett. Um, I think 
the situational ethics, like the big question now is asked is you have five people tied to train tracks and you can switch the track because one person tied to those train tracks, what do you do? Mm. And that's the one I always heard is. Okay, tell me that one again. I've never so, heard the train one. Um, there's a train going down these tracks and there are five people tied to the track that it's currently going on. You can switch the track, but on the other set of tracks, there's one person tied to the tracks. What do you do? Oh, so that's the, again, to quote Star Trek, the, the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the one. Like either way, you're going to kill somebody and it's like five strangers on one track and your grandma on the other. And it's like, do I save the person I love or do I save the, the more number of people? And it's, it's one, one of those. Yeah. Um, so anyway, th this is why that particular short story is so fascinating to me. It was one of those times uh, whenever I was going through high school, um, it, you know how, and, and you know, cause you are in high school, um, teachers can assign you books and stories and poems. And sometimes it's just painful. It's like, Miss Goff, why are you doing this to us? Why do you hate us, Miss Goff? And then sometimes it's like, okay, this is not my jam, but I, I get why she's doing this to us. Okay, the hiding place, I'll read it. And then sometimes you turn a corner and it's something you've been assigned and then it's just like, it, it just sort of like, it hits you and you love it. Or even if you don't love it, it's just, it, it, it takes some crusty corner of your brain and it just knocks all the cobwebs loose and it just really gives you something to sink your teeth into and to think on. That's what The Lady or the Tiger was for me when I was originally assigned this um, as a ninth grader. And um, I think it's a story that doesn't have a clear ending. It's one of those that it's designed for the ending to be as different as the number of people who read the story and try to answer it. Um, but it does, it's like the original situational ethics story. So keep that in the back of your head as we start to navigate the next few decades of history over the next few weeks, because the closer we get to our own time, the harder it is to pick apart the, the, the bones from the flesh. It, it's harder to pick apart the good from the bad, the, the beautiful from the ugly, the sound wisdom versus the stuff that sounds right, but like you, you could strain pasta with it. Um, and I'm seeing this, I saw this, I should say, um, a bit in your ism responses to the movie M. Um, and this is usually about the time of year where the ism journals start to hurt a little bit more, not because it's harder to write them because you've been doing these all year, but because it's starting to get closer and closer to home. The things that we're writing about are not long ago and far away. We're writing about things that impact your life directly. It impacts the lives of your family. And then you're, you're taking these ideas and you're trying to explain them. And it's at this point that it becomes very easy to get turned around in all of those isms and turned around in your sentences and actually start making arguments that don't match up 
with your biblical answer at the end or or with the ism that you chose and by not matching up um meaning like you're proving your point proving your point and but what you're saying in the middle actually um refutes or is the opposite of what you started to make your case for now if, if that sounds a little bit brain bendy then just hang in there with me because what, what I want you to do as you walk through these last few weeks of school and these last few ism entries and you know we're going to start doing this with film um, all of this sort of thing don't get bogged down in you know well yeah but people say this is everybody knows such and such careful where are you getting your litmus test from where is your your ruler that you're measuring everything by because it's really easy to measure things out and go clear right and wrong if you're talking about the ancient world if you're talking about christendom even when you're talking about the first several hundred years of american history you get down to the last 75 years though it gets tricky because it gets murky and there are more lies the more prevalent they're shinier they're painted in brighter colors and it's a lot easier to swallow it and regurgitate that and all the while thinking that you're supporting it biblically okay so just as you know sort of a a warning really i mean I, I was going to try to soften it a little bit but really as a warning as we go into the latter part of the 20th century as things get more familiar don't swap out your ruler for another one that isn't really the one that you've staked your life on because if you claim christianity and you claim a biblical worldview um, it, it's really humbling and it's very convicting when you realize that whatever just came out of your mouth or whatever argument you tried to use in a paper actually is the opposite of what you've been claiming. And this is a perfect time to iron out those wrinkles in your thinking before you get to college. Because that's when, you know, you hear these stories about, you know, well, so-and-so, they were just such a strong Christian and they did this and they did this and they went on these mission trips and they got to college and it was just like they, they fell apart. Um, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, the closer it gets to our own time, the harder it is to be objective about the atmosphere that we live in. So hang in there with me. Like I said, I'm I'm pleased with what I'm seeing. I'm I'm you know uh, pleased with the writing that I'm seeing, but I'm also seeing enough bubbles sort of warping through your writing, especially this most recent ism entry. That you know, make sure you do a systems check. Make sure you're using the right ruler to measure out your arguments. And I say that in love, and y'all are not the first ones. To, actually, this is something that happens in modernity every time I teach the class. We get to about this point a year, and it happens. And um, I, I don't think Miss Earl will mind me um, telling a story on her oldest child. Uh, Morgan was part of my original modernity class, and I gave her an assignment like this. And she wrote a beautiful paper, but I had to go to her and say, honey, what you're arguing here is 
just, it, it's, this is an atheist argument. She's like, no, but I put a Bible verse here and I put something here. And I'm like, no, look at what you put as your clinchers in these paragraphs. And I started reading them off to her and you could just see the color leaving her face. She's just like, that is not what I meant to say. I'm like, well, if you diagram the sentences, you're pretty clear on where you were pulling your argument from, really. And then it actually made the Bible verses more jarring because they were just sort of like whitewashed on the end of the paper. And of course, she apologized and she offered to go back and fix it. And I was like, actually, I'm more interested in as we move forward to the next assignment that you just, you know, you swap out your rulers. Make sure that what you're arguing is actual truth and not just a dressed up version of what you've been getting from modern culture. And that's hard. That's hard. I mean, it's hard for me. And I've taught this class how many times? I, I don't even remember. Lots. Um, but anyway, latter half the 20th century, it's fun and woolly and murky for lots and lots of reasons. Okay, so I think that is you know, that's what I want to say about that. So let's do this. Um, did you have a hand up or is that like the tip of the hat? Oh, okay, you, you were tipping your hat to me. You were being a gentleman. Well, thank you. That wraps it up for this episode. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time.